When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. So after Manchester United lifted the League Cup yesterday, is this the start of something big at Old Trafford under Eric Ten Hag? Or another false dawn, as we saw with other managers that followed the glory days under Sir Alex Ferguson? I'm Mark Chapman. This is The Athletic Football Podcast. So joining us today, the Athletics' Adam Crafton, our Manchester United writer, Laurie Whitwell. We'll bring both of those in in just a moment, but let's talk Newcastle with uh, Chris Waugh. First of all, your match piece, Chris, says great strides have been made, but improvement needed in key areas. And that kind of sums it up, really, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I mean, when I woke up this morning, I thought, am I going to still agree to come on this podcast, seeing this after the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the sort of disappointment and deflation of last night, Stan and Wembley, we recording our pod on the time, was difficult. But then when I went to write my match piece, it was sort of... the My first thought was, for someone from the area and who's followed the club for so long, was it was a sense of pride, really, in terms of the, the, the occasion, the weekend, what Newcastle made of it, Trafalgar Square on Saturday night, the flag display before the game. And it does feel like Newcastle still have momentum, regardless of the fact that the interminable wait for that trophy goes on. 1969, the last uh, cup in general, 1955, the last domestic one. We all know that they haven't scored in a cup final still since 1976. So there's so much frustration from the actual game itself. But when you think about it, the fact that Newcastle were in that final when a year ago they were still battling relegation. The fact that they are fifth in the Premier League and, and look like they're on course for European football, potentially even reaching the Champions League, that's still not out of the equation, even if Spurs beating Chelsea sort of makes that even more difficult. And so I think Newcastle need to try and take the positives from this and use it as motivation to make sure they finish the season strongly because it's been a wonderful season so far. Yes, they've lost in the showpiece final, but the fact they were in the showpiece final, the fact they are already competing this soon is a huge positive. Uh, and that's the difference, isn't it, I suppose, in the, um, in the, in the 90s, after the Arsenal FA Cup final and then the Manchester United FA Cup final, there was a feeling, I'm guessing, of, oh God, not again, particularly after it had come off the near misses in the Premier League as well. Whereas yesterday didn't feel like a, oh no, not again, kind of day. It felt like, okay, this is just part of the, process it felt very reasoned yeah and, and it's very difficult to sort of look that way in the immediate aftermath of when you're walking down yeah. Wembley but but no I, I agree it doesn't feel like the end whereas maybe in the past you'd think this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity it didn't feel like that for Newcastle it, it feels like certainly the ambition is that they want to be competing in these finals regularly and maybe the 
maybe you have to lose some to then go on to win them. A lot, a lot that's what it's a cliche, but that's what a lot of players and managers say. And it felt like that for Newcastle yesterday. Maybe beyond Trippier and a couple of other players that didn't have that big match experience that Manchester United had in the likes of Casemiro and, and Rafael Varane, who are serial winners. And so, th- yes, I, I, I do think it is that. And if you actually look at the finals compared to certainly '99, where against the same opposition, it always seems to be Man United. On that occasion, Newcastle didn't have a sniff. The frustrating thing on Sunday was that I thought that until they were actually in both boxes, Newcastle played pretty well. And certainly during the second half, they had so many openings without actually that final bit of quality. And that's what's deserted them in the last few weeks. The best defence in the Premier League is now conceding some soft goals, particularly from set pieces. And also the attack just isn't functioning. They aren't getting the opportunities. that it's Early in the season, they had so many shots in every match, whereas yesterday they only had two on target. Is that a personnel issue? Is that the area where you think they are going to strengthen the most when they go again this summer? Or is that just a uh, a dip in form for those attacking players? I mean, we had a stat yesterday on the on the Sky coverage of big chances missed of the previous 11 game the last 11 games and the 11 previously to that and they've they've missed a third more big chances in the last 11 games than they had in the ones previously so is that is that just form or do you think those front lines are where the strengthening is going to come I think it's a combination of a few things I think it is form I think partly the team itself has been really overachieving for large parts of this season given that they still need to strengthen so many areas they've got quality players like Bruno Gimaraes and, and Kieran Trippier but really they need better players around them Miguel Almiron has certainly been performing above the level that he's shown previously for Newcastle and he's tailed off a bit. Callum Wilson is in no sort of form whatsoever. He's come back from the World Cup and just has not performed and he's been pivotal for Newcastle for so long. And so the attack just isn't quite functioning. I certainly think on the right-hand side, what's been so successful for Newcastle this season is the Trippier-Bruno uh, Almiron axis and with Almiron not scoring as much and Newcastle not attacking as much down the right it sort of exposes the fact that Dan Byrne as a left back isn't great at attack so when he can't play in so much as it becomes a back three as it has done previously but then I also think they do need to strengthen in key areas Anthony Gordon was cup tied he was signed in January he hasn't started a game yet for Newcastle he should help to to start to bring a bit more creativity. He's already shown it in cameos. But this summer, I do think they need something more. Alexander Isak, they still haven't seen the best of. They spent a lot of money on him. He's been injured a lot, and they need him to start performing. But just right now, it just feels like the fluidity Newcastle had is missing, and I think that's partly down to a dip in form, partly down to injuries and suspensions which have affected them, and also partly down to fatigue. Newcastle look a tired team. They're all about high press and high intensity, and they haven't quite had that in recent weeks. When you spoke to to the players and the coaches and and so on afterwards, is it was there a is there a, a sort of adjective you can use to describe their collective mood? Deflation, I think it would be one. But then I think also there was also a sense of it's not going to be one way, but so if we go again was almost the sort of the, the the mood. I mean, Eddie Howe was asked about going up to collect his runners-up medal and he said at that point, it's devastating because you feel like you failed. And I don't want Newcastle... Uh, and, and the players to feel that because if you if it had gone back to, to August and thought about Newcastle being here in a final then that necessarily wouldn't be failure but at the same time they 
were determined that they were coming to Wembley not just for a day out, that they were coming to win and obviously that didn't happen and that is the mentality they need to use going forward. So I think it almost needs to be a bit of a reset for, for Newcastle in terms of where they've got to do. The last month, everything has been about the cup final, understandably so, because it was Newcastle's first since 1999 and it was a huge occasion. It became Newcastle upon Thames with tens of thousands of, of supporters coming down. But the league form has slipped a little bit the the form in general has slipped a bit and and, and they just need to, to rediscover something and try and get to that side that they were early in the season. The, the, the reality is, though, they as I said earlier, they were probably overperforming then and they may be underperforming a little bit now and their true level is probably somewhere in between and they just need to try and find a way to get to that. In some ways, it's a bit of a cliche to, to talk about Newcastle fans, I think. But at the same time, although I did see a very amusing tweet saying, well, what's their obsession with Trafalgar Square? There are much better, nicer places that you could go to in, in London and all and all gather together. But um, I, I thought both sets of fans were fantastic yesterday. I thought the atmosphere was, was sensational. It felt like a proper, proper cup final. But fans in defeat deserve praise, I think. And the fact that they didn't leave you know, five minutes to go in a cup final and 2-0 down. A lot of fans would go in, in that situation. They got the flags back out and they kept going. And I thought that does deserve some credit. Definitely. And you could feel how big an occasion this was for Newcastle. I mean, before the game, Wembley Way was all black and white. It was There weren't that many Man United fans around. I think part of that is because... Yes, Man United haven't in the last couple of years been in finals, but they're used to being in these sorts of situations. The fans have been here before. Newcastle fans haven't, and they were making a big weekend of it, and they wanted to save it every moment. And they were in the ground. The, the, the Newcastle end was nearly full about 45 minutes before the game. Man United end took a bit longer to fill up, and Newcastle fans were savouring that. They were building the atmosphere. The war flags display before the game was wonderful. And the fans stuck with them. And then that moment almost of defiance right at the end and the way that they applauded the players and coaching staff. Bruno Gimaraes was in tears on the pitch, but the, the, the crowd were almost trying to lift them because they do feel pride in what this team has achieved. They wanted to win this trophy. There's no doubt about that. And there's, a, there's so much frustration and pain that they haven't. But at the same time, they also recognise the strides this team has taken and they are going to keep backing them and hoping that this is just one step towards uh, hopefully brighter times ahead. Right, safe journey back from London to Tyneside. Are you going back to Trafalgar Square for, for one last look? Or? I'll just I'll just buy some cans on the corner and then head along, I think, yeah. So. <laughs> Chris, thank you very much. Uh, of course, George Culkin also covers uh, Newcastle for us. Uh, he's written a piece that's also on the website. Very emotional piece as well because George... Uh, lost his stepdad over the weekend as well. Um, it's an emotional piece. It is well worth reading. And uh, we, of course, send George and his family uh, our best wishes. So let's turn our attentions to Manchester United now with Adam and Laurie. It's a very strange feeling seeing you smile a lot on these podcasts, Laurie. I'm not, I'm not used to it. Mind you, mind you. It, I suppose I could argue it's a very strange. It's very strange to see me smiling on these podcasts as well. Well, you've had a, a great weekend, haven't you, Chappers? I enjoyed your 
repartee on the on the uh, okay. sidelines of, of Wembley. Um, very good. In fact, that's actually, what, that's actually what I was just watching. So uh, that's why I was smiling so much. I was oh. doing my preparation for this podcast. By oh. see, I that's there, you, so I didn't that's, see the TV. That's how you show. get appearances, Adam, by being yeah. you know by being <laughs> polite and buttering up the host. That's well, mainly, how it goes. So, so sorry, I was I was a bit busy watching the highlights of the game back, <laughs> and he was just he was just watching the highlights of the host to butter you up. I, and to be honest, it was mainly Roy Keane that was making me laugh. So. Uh, there we are. <laughs> uh, but no, generally, it was a really good occasion. And Eric Ten Hag is funny, we've, we've established. Uh, like, yeah. Yeah, he's this disciplinarian. He's this um, guy with strict rules and standards. But, you know, he forgot the Carabao Cup at the end of his press conference. And we have to remind him, Eric, you've, you've left the trophy. And he basically said, don't worry, there'll be more coming along soon. <laughs> but, but, and, and because of that, and this is where we'll start then, and I did mention it yesterday, He's authentic, isn't he? He's genuine. What what you see is what you get. And so often in this industry, there are so many smoke and mirrors and people trying to be someone that they're not and so on and so forth. And I'm talking about it from a player's point of view as well. He will be nice to you. He'll have a dance with you. He'll put his arm around you, but he'll also he'll also discipline you and he's genuine. He backs up what he says. So, yeah, if he tells players that they've got to be at a team meeting at a certain time and they're not, you know, you don't know exactly how many times maybe there's been lateness, but there's clearly a line where he says, right, that's it, you're out the team. And, and in the piece today that I've written, Marcus Rashford was dropped for that Wolves game. It was the morning of the game. You know, the kickoff was 12.30 and it was the last team meeting that United had had in that morning and he overslept and so he wasn't there and, and, and Tadag switched him out. It, you know, it was a very tight turnaround, so he could easily have kind of gone, okay, I'll, you know, because it's such a, a tight squid, I'll, I'll let this one slide, but he didn't. And I think that then provides the players with a clear blueprint for how they should conduct themselves yeah both off the pitch but also on the pitch that's the primarily where we're talking here in in that if he asks players to back up their teammates with a certain run or make those kind of tackles um you know act a certain way you know drop in deep perhaps you know do it there's a consequence if you don't do it and there's a reason why I'm asking you to do it is for the betterment and, and the silverware aids that massively that gets buy-in from players because if if they're yeah, and, and Gary Neville, I think, touched on it um, in your panel yesterday, but that it, at the start of the season, if, if you've come in with such a kind of hard rod, um, and, he, and he did, you know, he cancelled the players' day off after that Brentford game and, and, and made them do running and, yeah, did it with them. But that's still, you know, it could piss players off, you know, and, and you know, dropping players. It, it certainly did with Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, that, that was a part of the ways. There we go. That was his line in the sand. But if you start getting results and if you start winning trophies, then players... I'm more likely to go, okay, I can see where he's coming from here and I'm get on board. Adam just turned part of that into a carry-on film then. I could see. Moving quickly on. Look, it, it's, but it, it's, not just, it's not just personality and how he is as a, as a person. Tactically, there are very few errors from him at the moment, Adam, in, including substitutions. I think there has been a bit of a change since the World Cup as well. It feels like, and you know, so we know what happened during the World Cup, which is that Ronaldo left. And I think since then, it's just like Ten Hag has just gone from strength to strength in decision making, in in setup, in authority, in credibility with the rest of the squad. I mean, the Rashford thing, you know, against Wolves, I think reinforced that again. I thought his setup yesterday was really sensible. I think Man United yesterday basically deceive Newcastle into thinking they were playing really well. Give you lots of the ball. You know, you have loads of the play. Aren't we doing one at Wembley? 
and then two moments, game over. The game was basically over at half-time because United now have the ability with that little spine at the back of De Gea and Varane and Martinez and Casemiro to shut a game down. And you're almost watching it as a Manchester United fan, still a bit nervous because of what you've seen over the past few years. But actually, when you watch those guys play, those three in particular, right at the heart, almost at the heart of the defence, that result was never in doubt really from the moment United scored the first goal. And I think that's been... That's been the huge change, that he's now got players that he can really trust all over the team. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. I wonder on the Ronaldo thing that uh, there's one element of, and the assumption is the players then realise who is in charge by him doing that. I also wonder with both of you, Adam, you may want to go first here, whether actually the players also realised actually you're on our side here. You know, you, you are on us as a group rather than that one individual. Yeah, or you're on the side of the club. Yeah. The side the side of, you know, the, the team trying to win and we're all trying to succeed here. Look, I, th- I think the reality with Ronaldo is that, you know, some players liked him, some players respected him but didn't love working with him. Other players didn't have that much time for him by the end of it. But I think everyone recognised that the situation of having a player of that reputation and that scale sat on the bench or coming on for 10 minutes here or there or not being brought on because it would be disrespectful to be brought on. I mean, do you remember all those ridiculous conversations we were having to have at the time? Everyone could see that that wasn't really working. So go with players that are desperate to be there. And that's, you know, look, I've been on this podcast and been neggy about Weggy, about Weghorst, <laughs> uh, to, qu- to quote Laurie. And <laughs> yesterday he was probably seven out of 10 instead of five out of 10. But the fact is he really wants to be there. And you can tell that the players like the fact that he really wants to be there and that he's buying into what they're doing. And, and just on Ten Hag, what I really like about him is He's overseen this cultural reset without ever mentioning the word culture. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't yeah. think, right? You, you know, you hear so many people talk about culture and high performance and all this sort of stuff. He's just been, as you say, he's been honest and he's been, he's been direct. He's, and he makes complicated things sound really, really obvious sometimes. Yeah. You know, you might ask him in a press conference, Laurie, why is Dallow almost in central midfield half the time? He'll give you an explanation where you're like, yeah, that makes total sense. But it's not something that me or you would instinctively see. Maybe you would. No, no, definitely not. I mean, he, he's not aloof from it as well. Actually, he's not. He, he is clearly yeah. a very smart, erudite guy, particularly when it comes to football. But he doesn't, you know, uh, preach from an ivory tower. He kind of comes down to to your level and, and says, "Yeah, okay, that's a fair question. I'll, I'll answer it." But that was the, that was the that was the great thing about Louis Van Gaal, who you would ask him a question <laughs> about an issue between players or between him and a player, and he would say, "Stop wasting my time <laughs> with silly questions." Yeah. And then you would ask him for a tactical explanation and he would say, well, you won't understand. <laughs> so you actually could have actually gone go anything by the end. <laughs> Just a quick one on, on Valt Vogels. That's his first trophy in his whole career. So you, right. you talk about sort of wanting to be somewhere and, and okay, yeah, he's obviously not at the absolute standard of Manchester United, but is there a role for him? Certainly this season there is because Anthony Marshall's is still injured. But even, you know, potentially beyond that, I don't know, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but that kind of, 
sort of moment for a player means a lot. So you'd think, right, whatever Ten Hag asks him to do from now on, he's going to get that devotion. And yet he doesn't say culture. He does have other words, you know, standards, principles. He's very hard with that. And and I think what you're saying about the the way he uh, talks in press conferences is economical with his language. He doesn't waffle. And I think that's what he's like actually just in general, you know, with people that have worked with him. He kind of comes in. There's a, there's a point to his conversation. He can obviously have those moments of just human interaction where he's asking you about you, you know your life and, and getting to know you a little bit but it's there's there's a kind of momentum about him the whole time you know that famous Alex yeah. Ferguson sort of quote Manchester United is a train that waits for nobody and you sort of feel like Eric Ten Hag is a little bit like that I tell you what though you you mentioned an Alex Ferguson quote he doesn't he doesn't bang on about the history of the club does he I mean yeah. you know he understands it and he obviously respects it but he doesn't he doesn't build it into some kind of mythical um, force. I think that's a really crucial point, particularly this week when he's been pictured having dinner with Sir Alex Ferguson. And yeah, we've made a little bit of play of it and I've written about it, particularly in his pre-Newcastle press conference where he trained the focus on the referees, which is, you know, very Fergie-esque. But, and, and he was in the dressing room, he invited him in, he was in the, uh, the tunnel, uh, you know, giving him a hug. It's the sort of last moment that Man United have obviously put on social media channels. Um, but, there's there's a respect there and uh, a, a sort of deference, but it's it's never reducing his own status. He's got that aura himself, so it's almost like I'm tapping into that. I I totally acknowledge that, but I am also my own person. And maybe this is a little bit unfair on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but at times there was there was that element to his uh, talking about Sir Alex Ferguson. And I suppose it's different because he had that shared history with him, and he was he was his boss, you know, the gaffer. Ten Hag won't, I don't think, refer to Sir Alex Ferguson as the gaffer in that, you know, in that way. Um, he'll certainly, you know, doff his cap to him though, and he understands the history and, and uh, you know, the tradition of the club as well. I think it shows a security in himself, you know, that he's comfortable enough to say, you know, come into the dressing room. I think it helps over time as well. You know, there's apart from David De Gea and your new colleague Phil Jones, there are very, very few players there now at the club who actually really know Ferguson you know he is just in the nicest way the old guy that sits in the stands that did loads when he when he ran the, the club nicest way. so it's I think <laughs> in the nicest way yeah um so I don't think there is that awkwardness that there would have been if it was David Moyes doing that I think it's easier as time goes on to minimize that role but be respectful Eric Tenhag keeps talking about creating his own history and I think that's right I think that's the way Jurgen Klopp went about it at Liverpool which is you know, yes, you want to create that atmosphere in the stadium and you want to talk about the history to tap into that, but you don't want to be just sort of always looking back and you're always looking forward. And I think the other person to mention, if you're going to mention Ferguson and the role that he had sort of in the tunnel after the game and going to the dressing room, Richard Arnold was there and the club has been far better run since he's become chief exec. There is no question on that. And part of that has been bringing the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill a bit more visible, asking for their advice a little bit more, not always taking it, but making them feel involved, recognising what went before, recognising that they know a lot of people, that they've got a lot of experience, that that can be quite a healthy thing to do. I know there'll be some Manchester United fans listening to this who are saying, well, Richard Arnold is still the Glazers man. And yeah, he is. Yeah, of course he is. But he's a far better Glazers man than Ed Woodward ever was and you wonder if the Glazers had, had actually made a change on Woodward a few years earlier actually how different Manchester United would have looked 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This podcast, like like a lot of media, has given Manchester United executives a, a boatload of criticism over the years, and and fully deserved as well. And I'm not talking about the owners here. This is not a, a parking the ownership discussion, and the praise isn't going in that direction, but. For Richard Arnold, for John Murta, for Darren Fletcher, uh, who brought in Ten Hag, and I am led to believe, you know, in those presentations that Ten Hag made before he got the job, he was incredibly critical of the club. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And they they listened to the, you know, they brave of Ten Hag, and actually brave of the executive to to take that on board and go with someone who's telling them where it's gone wrong. They do deserve credit, though. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, and you can certainly see in how Ericsson Hag is in in Manchester what it would have been like in those uh, interviews earlier on. You know, doesn't sugarcoat things. I have uh, criticised Manchester United certainly at the running of the club, the recruitment. You know, I still wonder if that can be made better because you know ultimately United are looking uh, difficult at meeting financial fair play regulations, which is because of overspending on transfers. But you do have to give credit to um, the people that have put Eric Ten Hag in place and given him that authority. They have backed him in these difficult moments. It would have been easy for them to sort of go, actually, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, he's, he's a really, you know, a, a high-profile player. He's, he's earning a lot of money. It's, it's difficult just to kind of say goodbye to that. Um, but no, they, they absolutely backed him in that regard. And I think that it, there is a value in that. You can't, you know, it, don't disregard that. And yeah, they picked him over... Um, Richard Pochettino it felt like a, a sort of 50-50 really um, at some stages and certainly other people were advocating for Pochettino but after that interview process which was very detailed as you touched on their chappers they thought that Ericsson Hag was the right person to um, turn this around and, and, and one perhaps other thing on, on John Murtz as, as football director particularly with the game yesterday um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka came on at half time and it just recurred to me this morning and Ericsson Hag I think would have sold him last summer. You know, kind of came in, wasn't doing what he wanted, and and therefore I think was going right. If I can get a different right back, then let, let's do it. And John Murtagh was actually the one to sort of say to Eric and I, you know, 
give him a little bit more chance. We've seen him in the past. He's, he's done well for us. Don't necessarily, you know, um, disregard him so 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 soon. And obviously, that's then needed Eric uh, Hyde to work with him and Aaron Wambasaka to develop. And, and it seems like he's in a good place right now. So, uh, but that's another little moment where you have had these these decisions that have perhaps given United some benefit as the season's gone on. What do you say to those? The people listening who would go, <laughs> hang on a minute, it's one trophy, it's one League Cup. And Manchester United won the FA Cup under Louis van Gaal. They won the Europa League and the League Cup under Jose Mourinho. They finished second in the Premier League under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. What's different? Well, I think that is still to come. You know, um, We'll find out. I mean, this season they're still in three more <laughs> trophies, aren't they? Um, you know, Potentially. So, um, yeah, it could get better. It, it could fizzle out and, it, and that could be the best of it I think the recruitment will be important because whilst Ten Hag has done really well with the signs that he's brought in I, you know, I don't think you can have Valt Vegos as your starting centre forward in, 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 for Manchester United when you're trying to go for the title Anthony Marshall j- is just injured so frequently that you can't rely on him so what do United do in that situation um, I think that's going to be really important and I think Ten Hag's shown He's got a very good eye for a player. I mean, you know, Lisandro Martinez, uh, you know, I doubted him at the start of the season. You know, is he tall enough to play centre-back for Manchester United? Uh, he's come from Ajax. It's, it's the Dutch league. You know, can you really trans- you know, trust someone to come from the Eredivisie and, and make an impact like he has? Wow, what a player he has become, you know, not just uh, technically, but also emotionally and, and, and sort of uh, the kind of leadership that he shows. So I, I think... That's going to be really interesting, though. Who United get to, to bring this squad on again because it needs replenishment, a, a, a sort of decent ratio, and the dynamics of that with the finance of the club will be uh, interesting to watch. I'm just remembering that the Brentford game, where obviously Martinez was poor that day, and the United lost four nil. I had a text after that game from an agent of a Manchester United player saying, "If Manchester United lose against Liverpool," Are they going to sack Eric Ten Hag? That that was what two games into the season, but actually, I went away from that Brentford game that day thinking, I can't think of a team Manchester United are going to beat this season. Having seen the the Brighton game and the Brentford game, and it sounds ridiculous now to say it, but they were so bad, they were so bad. So, for the the change that's happened so far, and the the point of this, you know, when Laurie's talking about recruitment. I think the most impressive thing about Eric Ten Hag is being that I would now look at Manchester United's squad and say pretty much every player has got better since he since he came into the club. Of those who you know, those who are playing at least, they are all getting better um, at the same time, and that can only be a massive reflection not only on Ten Hag but also his staff. Mm, you know, yeah. People when Steve McLaren came back, there was people mocking that, saying, you know. What's, you know, he's not been an assistant manager for 20 years. You know, he's been a manager um, during that time. Clearly, as a coach, he's had something to offer. Benny McCarthy. Benny McCarthy, right? wow. You know, yeah. I, we don't really know, do we, what goes on on the training ground. You know, we hear little bits here or there. We hear good things about Benny McCarthy. Um, they've just brought in a, a Japanese analyst from Everton who people are saying behind the scenes is hugely impressive. So I think he's... He's building. He's building a team, but he's also building that team behind the team. And and obviously, look, whenever someone wins a trophy, we do these podcasts. And we all get a bit carried away. And we think everything's fantastic. Man United have a huge amount of games coming up. 
they've got to go to they've got you know, a, tr- a tricky game against West Ham when you're coming off a big high midweek. Then you go to Liverpool. It may be that you know they have a three four day period at some point in the next few weeks where this all kind of blows up a little bit. But what you can feel in much the same way as when Klopp first came to Liverpool is this team is coming. It's going somewhere. And I think people recognise that. Laurie? I just was going to reflect on the, the staff and, and Adam's yeah, dutifully gone through the list. Mitchell van der Gaag, though, I think he deserves uh, a real bit of credit as the assistant manager because he's the one that puts together the training sessions. Um, he was Eric Ten Hag's assistant at Ajax. They've got a really close relationship. I think the trust is absolutely there. He's a stern character as well, um, you know, so there's kind of, you know, bad cop, bad cop maybe, but no, in reality, they've both got that kind of human touch. Um, and, but I do, I do think he, he, he was a manager himself. Um, you know, he, he had, he's got an incredible history. He, he actually, you know, had a cardiac arrest on the, on the touchline whilst he was, whilst he was a manager. He died momentarily and he's kind of come back from that. So you've got these, play, uh, these, these guys behind the scenes that have had such real experiences that they can draw on to kind of if they're telling players do this like trust me you know they, they, they've been in dark places they know the light that can come at the end of it after United go out of the FA Cup on Wednesday and lose at Anfield next Sunday we'll do the Are United in Crisis podcast next Monday is that how is that, that's how the media works Perfect. yeah right <laughs> Uh, Adam, Laurie, uh, thank you uh, very much. If you're not already a subscriber, you can take advantage of the offer at the moment. £1.99 a month for 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.